Hello everyone, welcome back to the Chibi Anime Podcast. I'm Ryan, thank you for returning if you checked out the first episode. If not, quickly pause this one, go to my profile, go to the page, click on the first episode, catch yourself up and come back. So in the first episode, we looked at the first part of the history of anime. This is part two. And in the first one, we looked at the very early, early beginnings of anime and its very early starts with chalk drawings and how it didn't really get the start that it really should have and the start that it needed to have. However, we quickly saw how during by the late 50s and 60s, it started to really pick up and by the 70s, the anime boom really started to happen. So we saw every type of new genre hitting the hitting the uh, screens, hitting the stores. Commercialism really took off with the mecha themes later on. And we started to really see the style and the aesthetic of anime really come to the forefront. And we also started to see how the world started to take notice of anime. And that was thanks to other studios here in the West and how studios started to adopt and dub and distribute the content that Japan was creating. So it really opened the global doors for Japan and the amazing work that was being produced by these artists and illustrators and animators. In this episode, we'll continue that journey, but we'll be looking at the 80s and the 90s. I was born in 1994 and I was really surprised at how much of a defining decade the 80s were for anime. It was really surprising, really interesting to see that the 80s where we often, when we mention the 80s, we often think about the music or the fashion and anime really had its, had a moment in the 80s, which is really surprising. And this decade was where the industry really started to blow up and started to make moves that really shaped the 90s and the early 2000s as well. It was in this decade that America started to notice the influence that the creators of anime studios in Japan and their animation work was having. And America started to hire Japanese artists and animators and the studios to help create their TV shows. Shows such as G.I. Joe and Transformers, a show inspired by the mecha theme we talked about in the last episode that really started to come to the forefront in the 70s and those that continue to this day really were by Japanese studios and teams, which I think is really interesting. I never have never linked those two together, although Transformers does have a very Japanese anime theme to it with its aesthetic. It was during this decade that one of the biggest anime franchises was created and one that has a massive cult following, Dragon Ball. This was released in 1984 and started a new martial arts genre of anime, one of the most commercial anime titles of all time and one where the media franchise that surrounds it is enormous. The merchandise that is available for this anime franchise covers almost every conceivable base from food products to clothing to manga to novels to OVAs. There is 
such a massive media franchise for the series and it only grows by the month really it really does not stop 1984 also saw the release of Nozka of the Valley of the Wind by Miyazaki based on his 1982 manga of the same name that was distributed by Toei Animation. Taking place in a post-nuclear futuristic world, the film tells the story of Nozika Shimamoto, the young teenage princess of the Valley of the Wind. She becomes embroiled in a struggle with Tokamiya, a kingdom that tries to use an ancient weapon to eradicate a jungle full of giant insects. Although created before Studio Ghibli founded, the work is often attributed to the studio, and on occasion is often included in DVD box sets and collection. I think it was this work that helped to provide the funding for the founding of Studio Ghibli in the later years, and you can find this movie on Netflix at the moment. It's definitely worth a watch, but I think I would say that about any Studio Ghibli film. The amazingly popular series Mobile Suit Gundam released a sequel series returning as Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam and proved another massive success for the series. That was in 1985 and year after year throughout the 80s and 90s and to this day there are multiple series, multiple storylines and multiple throw-offs and spin-offs for the series and continues to, to be a success and one that's really a jewel in that studio's crown. It was during this period that anime started to get a little bit more funding because of the popularity of the recent series that were being made and the works that were being created. So studios started to use OVAs as a way to trial new theories and new themes. An OVA is a standalone episode or episodes and are standalone stories to the main plot. So studios were using these as trials for new series or more experimental pieces of work with the funding they have. So many series today have OVAs on the end of seasons or separately from the main storyline, but that add more depth to characters or for the world building. This allows studios to save money instead of investing entire funds to a new series. They could precisely target two episodes or two to three episodes to trial pilots of new themes and new characters and new stories. It was in 1985 that Studio Ghibli founded and became very quickly a powerhouse in the anime industry. It very quickly started to release work that was creative, experimental and different and works that really captured the imaginations of its viewers and the audiences, not only in Japan, but in the wider world as well. In 1986, Studio Ghibli released their first film as a studio, Set in a fictional late 19th century, it follows the adventures of a boy and a girl who are trying to keep a powerful crystal from the army, a group of secret agents and a family of pirates while searching for a legendary floating castle. The film is called Laputa Castle in the Sky and it really is a gorgeous looking film. I have not personally actually seen this Ghibli film, however... There are the classic tropes of a Ghibli film in there, the beautiful scenery, the world building and the steampunk machinery technology kind of aesthetic and points of reference with a floating castle in the sky. The film was distributed by the Toei Company and the film has grossed approximately $157 million in the box office, home video and soundtrack sales as of 2021. 
and had a production budget of around three million. So quite a lovely profit there for the production. And this started to be noticed by the industry, the popularity of this film and the experimental themes it had really started to be taken noticed. More money started to be invested into the anime world and the anime studios that were making this work. So more studios were able to have a go at making experimental pieces of work like Ghibli was. The 1980s were almost like a golden time for Ghibli as they also released two other iconic pieces of work during this time. My Neighbor Totoro in 1988 and Kiki's Delivery Service in 1989. Both of those are favourites of mine and if you haven't seen them, definitely go and give them a watch. They're super worth it. They're a perfect Sunday film. My Neighbor Totoro tells a story of a professor's young two daughters and their interactions with friendly wood spirits in post-war rural Japan. And Kiki's delivery service follows Kiki, which is a young witch who moves to a new town and uses her flying ability to earn a living. My Neighbor Totoro became so iconic after launch for Studio Ghibli that the character Totoro is now the mascot for the studio, and one that I think you might agree with is so cute. For me, that mascot is so much better than Mickey Mouse. But speaking of Disney, it is thanks to Disney that many of the English dubs for these movies were made and distributed here in the West, which is a link I never thought would be there. It's interesting to see that these companies were working together to distribute these films and these stories around the world. It was in the later years of the 1980s that unfortunately the Japanese economy crashed and this caused many studios to close and it was mainly the large companies such as Toei, Ghibli, Madhouse and so on that were creating the content at that time. Many studios that didn't have these large hits and large budgets unfortunately did close and we see that effect quite prevalently as we move into the 1990s. We start to see the studios that were producing them were large. Okay, so the 90s. This is the time where many of the series that I know and loved as a child and still love today were made. I was born in 1994, so I started to take notice of anime towards the latter end of the decade and the early 2000s. It was this decade of the 1990s where the anime industry started to generate work that would cause shifts in pop culture and ones that would become iconic touch points for a whole generation. Early on in the decade, we saw the return of series that were already popular that were created in the 80s and 70s, such as Dragon Ball Z in 1993 and the return, yet again, of the Gundam series with Mobile G Gundam in 1994. It was these kinds of anime that helped to carry the industry. They started to keep the fans entertained, keep them coming back, keep them there, and really helped to carry the smaller studios that were still there, but not as prevalent. In 1995, Ghost in the Shell was released, and this film received critical acclaim, and in later years has become known as one of the greatest adult anime works ever. This film and its theme helped to attract new types of people to anime and with its futuristic aesthetic and mood it helped to inspire future pieces of work such as The Matrix. This film is set in 2029 Japan which actually right now in 2022 is not that far away 
and follows Motoko as a cyborg public security agent who hunts a mysterious hacker known as the Puppet Master. There was also a standalone sequel to the movie called Ghost in the Shell Innocence that was released in 2004. In 1995, we also saw the birth of one of the most talked about and iconic series and one that has a massive cult following, Neon Genesis Evangelion. This series features themes from the mecha craze from the previous years and decades and one that was still continuing at that time. Evangelion is set 15 years after a worldwide cataclysm, particularly in the future futuristic fortified city of Tokyo-3. The protagonist is Shinji, a teenage boy who is recruited by his father Gendo to the shadowy organisation Nerve to pilot a giant biomachine mecha named Evangelion into combat against beings known as angels. The series has critical acclaim, however there is controversy over the last two episodes of the anime, with them being quote, too abstract for viewers. This controversy then led to the studios releasing an alternative ending to the story. Although the controversy lasted, today the series is absolutely loved. It's critically claimed there is a cult following for this anime and one that is ride or die for this series. It was in 1996 that one of my absolute favourite anime was released, Sailor Moon. I will do a separate podcast all about Sailor Moon because I think I have too much to say about this anime and I can't quite dedicate the time to it in this episode. But this anime caused a resurgence in the magical girl anime genre and the anime aired weekly for five whole years. It's grown to be one of Japan's most iconic franchises and this was the anime that if I look back It's the one that I can say was the one that got me into anime and one that I was so excited to watch every day. This franchise has grown into what I would say is the one of the jewels in the crown of the Toei Animation um, Empire. The Sailor Moon media franchise now spans almost every type of media you can imagine with multiple movies, manga that was actually the inspiration for the series, toys, drinks everything there's even a monopoly game which i do have i've wanted it for a long time and it's perfect the merchandise alone made the series 13.1 billion dollars which is incredible it's an enormous franchise in 1997 ghibli released princess mononoke It was a critical acclaim and commercial blockbuster, and it even became the highest grossing film in Japan of 1997, and also held Japan's box office record for domestic films until 2001's Spirited Away. So they set a record for themselves, and beat themselves. The story follows a young initiate prince named Ashitaka, and his involvement in a struggle between the god Kami of a forest and the humans who consume its resources. So it's a story that's quite topical today with the discussions about climate change and the environment. It's a glorious film. Again, it's a Ghibli film. I'll recommend it. It's amazing. Please go watch it. 1997 saw the creation of one of, I believe, the biggest franchise in the world, 
Pokemon. Again, I think I will do an, a separate podcast episode about Pokemon because obviously there is too much to say about Pokemon, but this was a knockout hit. The games released just the year before really helped to promote the anime and the storyline that was being told. This anime has lasted for 17 years. It's really, really stood the test of time with multiple generations, multiple characters, multiple storylines, and one that at the minute is all over the news. This anime, again, was one of my favourites. As a kid, I could not wait to get home or for the weekend when on 4Kids TV and Cartoon Network I could sit and watch episode after episode of Pokemon and see the stories that Ash and Pikachu would go on. This, again, has, along with Sailor Moon and Cardcaptor Sakura, which I'll get to in a second, was peak childhood for me. A year later, in 1998, Cardcaptor Sakura was released, another Magical Girl anime series which comprises of three seasons and 70 episodes. The story centres on Sakura, an elementary school student who discovers magical powers after accidentally freeing a cast of magical cards into the world. She must retrieve the cards to prevent a catastrophe. Each of these cards grants different magical powers and can only be activated by someone with inherent magical abilities. This was an amazing series. I absolutely loved it. There was a film that was released in 1999 by Madhouse Studio and there was a sequel to it in 2000. This series again really helped to continue the theme of the magical girl trope and genre and one that again I could not wait to watch as a kid. It's at this point that we start to move into the noughties, the 2000s and really start to quickly pick up pace to today's world of anime and the anime that we're seeing today and experiencing today. Join me next time and we'll go through the 2000s, we'll go through the key points where anime starts to really get polished and really finesse the art craft where we start to see Demon Slayer and Chainsaw Man where these are really pieces of art not just animation. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast please leave a like a comment please subscribe if you're enjoying this series and let me know what you'd like to see next. I've got ideas for Sailor Moon Studio Ghibli podcasts, Pokemon podcasts, so please let me know what you'd like to see next time. You can always find me on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook if you search Chibi Weeb Anime. You can have links to my Etsy shop on there as well where I sell a lot of anime merch. Why not check it out? Thank you for all of your support. I'll see you next time. I'm Ryan. Goodbye.